Welcome to When's Happy Hour, the podcast. I'm Aileen Cooperman, CEO and co-founder of Betches Media. And I'm Samantha Fishbein, COO and co-founder of Betches Media. And we're your co-hosts. When's Happy Hour, Work Hard So You Can Hardly Work is the name of our new book that we just wrote. In the book, you can discover everything you could possibly need to know about your career. From what not to do when writing an email to how to start your own business. Sammy and I and our third co-founder, Jordana, never went to business school, but by working hard and learning from our mistakes, we were able to build a full-blown media empire and brand with an audience of more than 10 million people. In preparation for our book coming out, we wanted to take the time to speak with some really interesting entrepreneurs from across multiple industries who have similar stories or different ones, and like everything else we do, ask the questions that everyone wants to know but are too afraid to ask out loud. To get an idea of what else you can discover from our book, you can find an excerpt and a link to pre-order at Betches.co slash WHH. Okay, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the When's Happy Hour podcast. I'm Sammy Fishbein. I'm Aileen Cooperman. We are the we are two of the co-authors of When's Happy Hour, Work Hard So You Can Hardly Work. And we are here today with Dr. Lara Devgin, world-renowned plastic surgeon with many interesting celebrity clients, chief medical officer of Real Self, and CEO of Scientific Beauty. And most of all, she is a mom of six. Yeah. So with that <laughs> resume, we are so pleased to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is so fun. I love Betches and I love you guys. So well, I'm excited. That to be means here. a lot to us. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I mean, you're you're honestly so impressive. And again, like the mom of six piece is incredible. So we yeah, want like all while mom of six. Yeah. I mean, that, that should like really be like number one. Yeah, I should start so, reversing my resume. Yeah. Like I'm going to start leading with, I'm a, mo- I'm a mother of six. I know, I think and that's- also a I think we, surgeon I think in my spare time. That's the punchline of all of it. It's like, <laughs> I've done all of this and also mom of six. So all of you mom of threes. Yeah, <laughs> get in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really crazy, especially because you're in the medical field, which is, I mean, definitely not the most female dominated field and obviously requires- like a decade of work yeah to get there's into. a lot of training that leads up to it so mm-hmm. you know to become a board certified plastic surgeon it's four years of college obviously when you're a pre-med four years of medical school and somewhere between six and ten years of postgraduate residency fellowship training so um, and then to get board certification is an additional couple of years and all the while you're you're in your 20s and 30s so those are those are key years going by wow so we wanted to talk about work-life balance as the main topic on this podcast. Obviously, that seems like something you've conquered. But I guess just to start, um, so people understand a little bit more about your background, could you tell us a little bit about everything you do and how you built your practice, your business, your brand? Yeah, totally. Basically, how you got here. What's the story? So what's the story? Um, I ask myself every day. Hmm. Um, So I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon. I focus on cosmetic interventions for the face, breast, and body. And about half of my practice is surgical, like, you know, facelift, breast augmentation, that kind of stuff. And the other half is non-surgical and minimally invasive. Um, In addition to that, I'm the chief medical officer of Real Self, which is the leading online marketplace for um, people who are thinking about medical aesthetics. You know, if you're researching your first Botox treatment, chances are you're going to end on that webpage. Um, and then I'm the CEO of Scientific Beauty, which is my skincare line. Um, it's an awesome medical grade line that's gotten huge boosts from celebrity clients and has become really a cult favorite brand, which is awesome. And then also I'm a mom of six. <laughs> so how did I get there? You know, I, 
I started my practice um, in solo private practice five years ago in New York City. And I kind of just got there the old fashioned way by taking care of each person with the absolute best care that I could. And, you know, in the early days, I used to call my own landline to make sure that it was ringing because it was not ringing and I had to just make sure that it worked. So (laughs) I definitely started out with crickets chirping all around me. Um, But, you know, I think that in some industries like medicine, it's hard to become an overnight sensation. There's this expression I like that every overnight sensation is a decade in the making. So, you know, it looks like, and Mm -hmm. for you guys too, I feel like Betches is totally that. Like people feel like Betches just appeared, but it was a decade in the making, right? We've been since 2011, yeah. You know, it's funny when you said that you used to call yourself to see if it wasn't ringing. (laughs) That sort of reminds me of like when you refresh your Instagram to see why more people aren't liking it. (laughs) Where are all the comments? Hurt me, guys. (laughs) Is Instagram down? (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of Instagram, you also have really built quite a social media brand for yourself. Um, some of the things that you post are very fascinating, but also like highly educational. Mm-hmm. Um, like you see the like non-surgical rhinoplasty, which is like a very amazing procedure. <laughs> and just the way you like will position, like you'll, I guess, take out like fat from some people's like cheeks or something. And then you'll like put it on the... It's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it's neat because I feel like there's such a cultural fascination about plastic surgery, but it's so hard to understand it if you're not in the field. So Instagram happened to come along right when I was coming of age as a plastic surgeon. And it's such a visual field that it's been a really cool way for me to educate people, but hopefully also you know, teach them something and entertain them a little bit. I also feel like plastic surgery used to be this hush-hush thing. Like people would be embarrassed to say that they got. And now I think people are starting to own it a little bit more. And like, I think maybe with Instagram, people are more fascinated, more excited to share what they pay so much money to, to get done. So yeah, I, I, I totally think you're right. I think I think it's a bunch of things. I think it's the era of the tweaks, like the tweakments, the little tiny minimally invasive, you know, just a needle, no downtime, not a mm-hmm. huge surgery. So that's that's part of it. And then I think there's also this whole aspect of um, celebrities and public figures and models yeah. being more open about, yeah, I got lip filler, so sue me, you know. And, yeah. and it sort of created this destigmatization of something that has been going on since the beginning of time behind closed doors. And now right. it's just what used to be hidden away is now on your Instagram feed. Yeah. Right. And if it's not an actual plastic surgery procedure, it's just Facetune. So. Or makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think the Kardashians have a lot to do with this, all of it. Like the butt. They do. The butt, the lips. Yeah. yeah. They really do. And, but I mean, even since the like, you know, since the beginning of it all, all the decision to wear a certain color lipstick or to, you know, contour your makeup or to put mm-hmm. your hair in a certain way or, or to work on your abs at the gym. It's like, it's kind of a continuum. And it doesn't mean that you're a superficial airhead plastic surgery junkie if you just want to look good. Right. Well, Kim is one of your clients. I've seen her on either, I think, on her Instagram with you or on your Instagram. So she's really, I mean, <laughs> she's, she's chosen the right person. <laughs> she posted a microneedling facial that yeah. I did with her um, on her Twitter and her That's app. Cool. So that was really cool and generous of her. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. Wh- when did you, so when did you go to medical, like, medical school and decide like you wanted to do this or did you did you always want to be a doctor or yeah I mean I had it had always been kind of in the backdrop I really always gravitated toward health and medicine because I think it's a really cool way to have an impact on someone's life you know Mm -hmm. you're you're 
touching a person's life in a very important, intimate, special way. And it's a very cool intervention. And I love science. I love anatomy. And, uh, you know, that was always in the background. And um, I went to medical school at Johns Hopkins. I started um, in 2002. And I think somewhere along the line, halfway through, I started gravitating toward plastic surgery. I thought I wanted to be a cancer surgeon and I found myself in the operating room sticking around to see what the reconstructive plastic surgeons were going to do at the end of the case once the mm -hmm. cancer, once the tumor was removed, then how are you gonna build the person back up and put them back together? And it's kind of cool it, sort of metaphorically that plastic surgery is all about building people back up and putting them back together. Right, well, I think a lot of times plastic surgery gets that sort of like assumed stigma that it's all like for vanity or it's like to like for bad reasons, but it's also to like really help people who have that's you what know, I wanted surgery to be reconstructive plastic surgery. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. I mean, people think that it's all about you know, it's like this whole Beverly Hills flashy car, superficial, like, like enormous breasts platinum bleached yeah. hair whatever it's not like that at all it's hand surgery congenital anomalies cleft lip and palate cleft breast lip, cancer yeah. reconstruction burn injuries you know tendon repairs very delicate nuanced stuff if you if you're in a car crash and you break your facial bones who's going to fix them for you it's a plastic yeah. surgeon and it changes your life like yeah. it put, you yeah. put you put the person back together for real that's yeah. a, that's why i want to do it but here i am <laughs> <laughs> so, this is close here i, am. I feel like I'm you're close. impacting so many yeah. more people than any plastic in a surgeon way, could. Different way. <laughs> but um, you're adding a little levity and um, yeah. you're adding a little bit of the kind of joy to people's lives that is not <laughs> essential for bare the bare minimum of existence but it's like essential to have a happy fun good yeah, life for sure well it's thanks true. Um, did you face any unique challenges as a woman going through like the arduous path to being a plastic surgeon? Totally. I mean, you know, the stats are that 90% of people who seek interventions like plastic surgery are women and 90% of plastic surgeons are men. And so it's this very male dominated world. And I think that there are a lot of challenges women face at one of the big broad challenges was just me thinking about spending my twenties locked inside the hospital in residency training, which, you know, surgery residency, any residency is no joke. You're, it's really long hours. You're up all night. I was there constantly. Um, so I worried about if I was ever going to meet someone and get married. I, I really wasn't sure I was ever going to be able to have a family. So I feel really lucky that I, you know, met my awesome husband and we have six kids together, but that was a small miracle. And I, I always think that if, if, if I hadn't met him, like, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have worked out for me. Wow. How, how old were you when you met him? Or um, where how were did you, you meet him? him? Yeah, yeah, I was, um, I think I was like about 27 um, or 28, 27, 28. And we met through mutual friends at the Rose Bar at the Gramercy Park Hotel. Fancy. Nice. Fun fact. <laughs> we were there for a friend's little, a mutual friend's um, little get together, a little party, and we just happened to meet. And my husband was in business school in Philadelphia, and I was in um, my surgical uh, internship. And then he ended up moving to New York the following year, and we started dating. And, um, you know, we got engaged, got married. We got married when I was a fourth year resident. I had my first child when I was a fifth year resident and um, and then all the others after I finished my training. Wow. Like, did you have them in consecutive year? Did sort of. So, yeah. So or it just was like, let's have another. <laughs> we said that a few times. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I w we both come from 
you know, bigger families. Mm-hmm. I'm one of four and he's one of three. And we thought that um, we wanted to have some kids. I don't think we knew we wanted to have six kids. And I, I realized that that's a big number. Um, but, yeah, but it's still nice. But they're yeah. o- they're awesome, and it's been such a source of joy for me to be able to have them. So I think I think the biggest challenge of being a woman in in a surgical field is figuring out how, when, and if you're going to have a family. Yeah, definitely. Did you ever struggle with once you did know you were going to have a family? Did you ever struggle with being pregnant or any deal with any sort of like discrimination or anything while mm-hmm. you were going through all these pregnancies, having all these kids? and still working at least before you were like really established yeah i mean i think that i think that it's new it's new it's a new concept and medicine is a is a um it's an institution it's a you know a venerable institution but every big venerable institution is a little bit slow to change and i think that it was it's it's always a little bit of a surprise for any institution to figure out how to grow and change and you know i I put in the hours and I did all the cases and I did everything that um, that every other resident would. But I do I do feel like honestly that um, as a woman in uh, a male dominated field, you're working twice as hard to prove yourself and um, maybe getting half the credit. Um, mm-hmm. So there there there's a th- there's a lot of that packed up in there. Wow. Did you ever were did you ever like deal with a specific like confrontation or something with people with someone who kind of like put you down and was like you can't do this like just go be a Well, mom. I mean, I remember on my first day back from maternity leave, which was, you know, I didn't take vacation for 2 years in order to be able to have a baby. So it wasn't a true leave, I would say, but on my first day back in the hospital, one of my colleagues said, "Oh, you're you're coming back?" And I was like, yeah I've been working toward this for a decade of course I'm coming back I have another year left in my trading and he was like oh I thought you just quit (laughs) (laughs) I was like oh my god so that that was like a little bit of a funny story but you know I, I I I'm really happy to be in um a position where I'm trying to make my own mold and make my own version of um what my future looks like and you know I, I think that if you're a woman interested in any field whether it's female or male dominated um, or if you're a man if you're if you're a person interested in any kind of field if you work really hard um, you'll be able to change the paradigms that are holding you back I definitely don't think I would have been happy if I had to live in that paradigm of you know residency for the rest of my life but but I don't definitely um, so, ha, so how do you juggle it all? Like you, you said you, your children bring you so much joy, but like, so, uh, so many women have trouble like saying like, I, I want to be so successful and I want to rise to the top, but that means maybe I have to put my family on hold. So like, how do you, I mean, how do you do it all? But no, but really, how do you make time and how do you prioritize? I feel like a lot of people, me, um, <laughs> would like some advice on that. It's really hard. And, um, you know, I just try to pack in as much as I can at any given moment. So for example, sorry, excuse me. Um, for example, um, when I have some downtime with my kids lately, what I've been trying to do is take one child on an evening walk alone with me every night. So um, that's like a little time for us to decompress, see what's happening, get in touch with the neighborhood and the weather, and also just have one-on-one time. So I'll do little things like that, um, or I'll try to have a special individualized relationship with each child. Um, But it's not easy. I feel guilty about it all the time, even still. And I think that, 
what I have, the way I've reconciled it is by telling myself that my kids are getting something out of seeing me working. You know, they're, they're learning things by observing me and by participating in my life. And they're, they're learning the value of hard work. Um, they're learning that there's dignity in having a purpose in your life and, you know, being goal-directed. Um, they have really good work habits, um, which is really nice. That's really I would amazing. imagine they would have good work <laughs> habits watching you. Um, yeah. That, yeah, that's like actually pretty good advice. Do the kids, I was wondering when you said that, do like the other kids get jealous when you take the oh, one? Totally. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, my walk? God. It's like <laughs> tears all around. Whose turn is it today? <laughs> I know. It's like, yeah. But that's cute, though. No, but I mean, it is a really good point that yeah. I actually don't think I've ever heard publicly made that... Same. when you have a working mom that you're getting maybe you're not getting individual attention 24 hours of the day but you are getting a very inspirational figure in your life that's showing you that mm-hmm. i mean you are a trail a trailblazer in this field in terms of your everything you do and your kids are getting something out of that that's not necessarily just pure attention all the time so, yeah, I mean, my really mom is an OBGYN and I watched her work. So like she had me yeah. while she was in medical school. So like she so wa- that's I attribute my like work ethic to that to like watching her. So even though I may have spent a little bit more time with my dad, it didn't really change my vi- view of my mom as like this hardworking person. And that I think that imprinted on me, too. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Actually, that's nice for me to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, so and hopefully now it'll look, turn yeah, out all right. One of your kids will start Betches one day. Betches <laughs> 2.0. And just along those lines, how do you make time for yourself? Do you feel that like you I have time still for working yourself? On, no, I don't feel like I have time for myself. I'm working on that. But um, I mean, I try to take... I try to take joy in little moments. Um, so if I have a little walk and I'm by myself, I'll try to enjoy the little walk. Or if I have some free time and I'm waiting in line somewhere, I'll try to decompress and you know think about the future or whatever. I, I try to do little <laughs> things that will make me happy or um, bring things together. So you know if I'm going to go to run an errand, I'll bring some of my kids on the errand with me. So it's kind of like... Doing, you know, it. doing, doing, it doing it, to, doing yeah. it together, and yeah. kind of, yeah, learning the sure. ins and outs of CVS together. Okay, my mom didn't really work, but most of our quality time was spent running errands. So <laughs> it's like that. It, it's fine. It it's works. Fun. Yeah, right. It was I feel fun like, for yeah, me. I know. I, like, and I sort of re- like realized looking back, like I used to love errands. Now I'm like, oh fuck this errand. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, in the era of yeah. online ordering, sometimes I'm like, oh my god, my poor kids are never gonna know what it feels <laughs> like to stand in line at Target for an hour. Yeah. But, um, oh no. <laughs> That's so funny because it's a as, passage. A, as a kid, yeah. you weren't really having fun because it was like fun to go bed to Bed Bath and Beyond. I mean, as fun as Bed Bath and Beyond is, but like it was just fun so because fun. you're hanging. <laughs> out with like your mom and like just doing something right yeah right. Like, it didn't really matter what you were doing right I, yeah. so many errands so that's, that's yeah. cute <laughs> something something else that i think is really important to talk about is having a partner and a yeah. husband who supports you and is you know helps you balance all of this so what qualities do you think women should look for in a partner who will help them succeed oh that's such a good question no one has ever asked me that um I think you, you should look for someone who you respect and who you regard as an equal. And that can mean many different things. Um, and you definitely don't have to marry a clone of yourself. My husband and I are different in a lot of ways. He's, you know, this tall finance guy and I'm like a petite 
doctor person and you know we're different in a lot of ways but in the important ways we see eye to eye so we you know we like to talk to each other and sometimes I think at the end of the day when we're both uh, you know, a hundred years old, there's going to be nothing left besides t- two like little old people talking <laughs> to each other. Um, so yeah. you have to find someone that you want to talk to. Um, and oh yeah. Yeah. It's just going to be two little old people talking. Uh, to yeah. Each other. You're going to be like alone. Your kids <laughs> yeah. will be grown up. You'll be you have to have fun together. Yeah. You have like to, just talking. Yeah, yeah. You have to be able to talk. And like we, we, we have really good restaurant meals together ever since we were dating. And even now when we go on a date night, um, it's fun to go out to dinner together um, and talk to each other and enjoy that uh, moment. So that also, how do you do? You, so you do date nights and like, do you do one like every week? How often? Like, how do you make We've time skipped for you a and your few. Yeah, <laughs> we have skipped a few recently, but the goal is to try to do one every week. We're probably doing you know at least one a month, but yeah, um, but it's it's hard, and I think you kind of have to schedule time with your partner. People don't tell you that either, but I definitely yeah. you have to. Yeah, people don't talk about that. Especially like, when you're so busy, like with work, just work. And then on top of that, you have children. Like you have to t- spend time with them. And then you have to spend time. With, people forget. And then they like let it sort of fizzle out. Yeah, so. it's a, and it's daily work. You have to remember that you can't just, you know, your partner is not your parent. They're not like required to love you. You have to actually try to be a lovable person. That's <laughs> <laughs> so hard. Thank you for being so straightforward. About that. Your parents are like contractually obligated to love you because they made you, but your partner right is can a go person. find another partner like yeah. you can be an asshole to your parents but like your but partner can only take so much asshole <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> no yeah you, you have to like you have to rein it in and be like a nice productive person yeah right and you know that's something to remember that's good interesting so does he does he like help you with the kids a lot i imagine he's also extremely busy working in finance yeah so we're both busy and we're fortunate that we have uh, a lot of support from each other and also from um some really wonderful people who help us with our kids so that's yeah. great. And he's been really supportive of what some people think of as a very strange industry because the truth is is that there's a huge stigma around plastic surgery even though d- beauty is becoming much more democratized and people are being much more open about their interventions. It's still a little bit of a strange field and a little bit of a parallel universe to some people. But um yeah. yeah. Right. Well, Do- I love it. what's there not to love (laughs) no yeah i've i've had a breast reduction i'm very vocal about it. it's the best thing that i've ever done ever so like yeah it can be really life-changing i mean it can really like reset your perspective on things and it's funny if you if you're born beautiful uh, or you're born with like you know having won the genetic lottery with perfect abs and full lips and clear skin and great hair etc it's really easy to tell people that they shouldn't care about things like the way they look and i think for so long society's been not only telling us look like this but also don't do anything to achieve that you know be effortlessly beautiful it's so paradoxical and annoying and hypocritical yeah the media does have a funny way of like demanding that you look a certain way and then shaming you for for trying and then and then all of the same time are telling you to love yourself (laughs) right (laughs) and why do you think we shame women who have plastic surgery so badly like we you know society basically destroyed renee zellweger when you know know, it's like it's so cruel how how like everyone becomes the subject of a tabloid magazine the minute that Mm -hmm. they want to improve themselves and it's something that I think about a lot in this industry. It's definitely true. Um, 
So it seems like you are kind of like the poster woman for having it all. <laughs> like you really, you know, when they say, oh, you, you have the career, you have the family and the husband, it really feels like you, you do. Do you feel like even despite that, that there are some significant things that you've had to sacrifice that kind of go, you know, left by the wayside when people talk about having it all? Totally. I mean, I think that having it all is sort of, it's a little bit of a false concept. You know, I feel really lucky to have this great profession that I love and an awesome family that I love, but um, there, there are tons of sacrifices. I, I work really hard. I don't sleep as much as I should. Um, and I think self-care becomes a major sacrifice. Um, I also think that you don't have it all every minute of your life. Mm -hmm. you, have, you have all the things that you need overall, but m some more at certain times and others more at other times. And, um, you know, there have been times in my life when I've been, like when I was studying for my boards, I was so focused on that. I'd leave my husband and at that time we had three kids. I'd leave him with the three kids and I'd go to the library at Lenox Hill Hospital and sit in this little cube with my books all day long. And I'd leave at seven in the morning and I'd come back at 7 p.m. And he, he will, have, you know, I. I would, didn't see them the entire day, but that's just like how I had to study for my boards. Yeah, you had to make that. Sacrifice. And you know, there are other times when, like on a weekend, I'm on, um, on in kid mode or in family mode, and I am just like on that playground the whole <laughs> the whole weekend, and it's really not about work at all. So you you can't have, or at least for me, I can't have a perfect day every day. I can have days where I focus more on one thing or another. Which, Weird. which is totally normal. I feel like even, even like, I feel like it's also hard to, I guess, internalize the idea of having it all too, because you don't, you don't think like an outsider might think of you. Like you don't walk around the street and be like, ah, wow, I have it all. You know, <laughs> you're just like thinking about the struggles of that day, or you're just like thinking, I have to do all of this. I have to do all of this. And you That's know, true. You, you, you don't really right. like internalize success or or any of that I feel I feel like I, I don't part of that is I think because it comes slowly it's not yeah. like you go from being like no one and then overnight it's not like winning yeah. the lottery like right. where suddenly you have like all this money and you have everything and it, you're good yeah it's like it comes so gradually that it is like you kind of look back and you're like oh I look how much I've done you have to really focus yeah on it and I also think as an ambitious person, like I'm never really thinking back. I'm like, wow, look at all that I've done. It's really just like, oh, I have all this more to do. Yes, <laughs> that is so right. Yeah. Actually, I think you really hit the nail on the head there because if you're someone who's trying to achieve a lot and you just have an internal ambition, then you're really always thinking about the next thing. You're, you're not really resting on your laurels, There's right? very, there's yeah. zero time because everything's always overlapped. Like you'll sit like at zero for something that you want to do, like let's say it's the goal is at 10, but when you're at six, you're like already thinking about the next, the next totally. 10, you know yeah. what I mean? It's always like steps, like I'm halfway to this one, it's close, that means I have to start planning for the next one. So you never really get to appreciate, you know, Everything the back 10. <laughs> I don't know where I got this like I, metaphor, but you know what I mean? You never really think about like the things that you have achieved in that way that somebody who looks at you or looks at a Wikipedia article of you says, wow, she's, so accomplished, you know, because you don't think of yourself that way. That's yeah. true. Where do you think you got all this determination? Like, do you think you got it from your parents? Like, were you born with it? Like, maybe not. Every, no, some people. <laughs> I are, don't know. Yeah. I actually don't even yeah. know. I mean, some people I feel like are more content. Like, they are just, you know, they're content with kind of like doing less. You know, they're not, they don't 
they don't want to be the chief medical officer of real self and fund a found a beauty line and yeah. grow this whole practice and might not necessarily want to put in all that work how like do you like do you feel, where do you think that value came from i don't know i mean i've always wanted to make a mark on the world and i want to feel like i've left it in a little better shape than i found it and i mean i'm passionate about a lot of things um and i guess that's where it came from i don't really know i've i've been you know i've been someone who's been trying to achieve things since i was little um so i i like that and i like the idea that that you can get so into something that you want to change the game about it you know like i really like what you guys have done with betches i i feel like you know, Thank you. <laughs> I, I feel like it's very similar. You could have just been content with a little blog um, that your friend that your friends read, yeah. but instead you created this multinational, multi-platform right. <laughs> media company. And it's like, why'd you do it? You could have just you had a great blog when you know only your ten friends were reading it, but you made it into something. Well, I think Thanks. it's like Aileen said when it's like you get to a certain point, you're like you you're like I, now I have to start this whole new initiative, and it's mm -hmm. like I have to get farther and like. Because what you've achieved, you you can't necessarily like appreciate. I don't know. There's like a sort you of you anchor and adjust. I think yeah. that's yeah. like you yeah. you anchor to something and you're like, okay, this is my new baseline, and then you adjust mm -hmm. your expectations and you want to succeed from that new place. Right. Exactly. You, have you do you have mentors or do you have um, like someone you've always admired that you, I guess that inspires you to keep going? Totally. I remember when I was in med school at Hopkins, the first female. Uh, chief of plastic, uh, chief of surgery, um, was a woman named Julie Freischlag, who's um, moved on from the institution at this time. But she was so inspiring to me because Hopkins is a real boys' club. It's a, an amazing institution, and it's like the, the literally the, named after a boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, it's like you know one of the most traditional uh, medical institutions where you get amazing training. But it was a real change in status and it was a huge deal and it was very controversial to have this woman be the chief of surgery and i remember thinking wow she's doing something super cool that's amazing mm -hmm. to have yeah. such a great role model when you were in school so yeah like that. Um, and now we follow each other on twitter so <laughs> there you go not to you brag made it. You made it. Yeah. not to brag but julie freshlag and i are twitter friends you guys follow her <laughs> so last question is there anything that you think the media or you know like the women's blogs or anything gets wrong or you know is kind of mythological about achieving work-life balance or about the challenges associated with it yeah i think that it's too often wrapped up in a pretty little picture it's messy and the real world is not black or white it's not like you're a hard-nosed career woman or you're a super mom stay-at-home mom you can be somewhere in between and for most real women in the real world the reality is somewhere in between you live in the gray area you don't live in the black and white and um and i think that that's the kind of thing that i would have appreciated when i was your guys's age and thinking about how my life was going to shape up. Um, I would have liked to see people who are having, you know, people who have a good life, but don't have it all made for them and who have better days and worse days and struggles. And, you know, I still have to fill out the permission slip and get some milk and do my preoperative work and, mm -hmm. you know, check up on my patients. And, you know, you, you have to do all these different things. We're all wearing so many different hats. Wow. Yeah, true. that's a good one. I yeah. like that one. <laughs> I liked your yeah. answer. I love this episode. Um, um, so where so where can people follow you or 
make an appointment <laughs> or well, see I your mean, work? I love my Instagram. That's like my okay. favorite platform. And that's the one that I think sort of conveys visually most of what I do. So that's Lara Devgan, MD. Okay. So follow her. L-A-R-A-D-E-V-G-A-N-M. Then D. (laughs) (laughs) At. At. (laughs) And even if you're not interested in getting plastic surgery, it is really amazing the thing she can do and I am sometimes just mesmerized and will rewatch videos over and over again and be like how did that happen yeah well so what I'm trying to do with the Instagram and I know that like I I know that we're wrapping up so I won't belabor this point but I'm really trying to put out the notion into the world that you can be a person of substance and also care about your appearance that beauty is not a zero-sum game you can be an intelligent hard-working career-oriented woman or man and want to get a breast enlargement or feel like you don't like the bump on your nose or whatever. And it doesn't mean that you are an idiot. And I think that that's kind of the important thing that's changing about my field. Yes. Well, as a patient of Dr. Jenkins, <laughs> I can tell you that that is true. I love to read I kind of love and that. I love to get plastic surgery. I kind of love that because no one really says that. Yeah. No one really yeah. says that it's okay to like care about what you look like. It doesn't make you vapid yeah (laughs) you can be a feminist with lipstick on right it's like yeah give me a break well here's the thing the world cares and lets you know how much they care so for again it goes back to that like why shame someone when you're constantly being how can you shame shame someone for not wanting to be judged or wanting to feel good so it's a work in progress that's right well thank you so so much thanks for for having me this was amazing yeah and everyone should buy our book <laughs> when's happy hour work hard so you can hardly work go to betches.co slash whh yes and follow dr tepkin all right please bye Thank you. bye, bye. Betches.